Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 36th episode of Soldiers of Cinema Podcast. I'm Colin McFader, and as always, I'm joined by Clark Coffey. How's Hello. it going? It's going well, man. How are you? I'm great. Very busy right now, but uh, ready to with, talk about this film. With fun film stuff, right? With fun exactly, film exactly. Stuff. The awesome. important stuff in life, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, um, it's, it's good. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to talk about At Close Range, which is our, our movie for this episode, the 1986 James Foley film starring Sean Penn and Christopher Walken. Of course, this was your choice. So why don't you tell us a little bit it, why it was my choice chose and this I, movie? Yeah. I bet you guys out there couldn't see this one coming. Um, yeah. Uh, it, it is a little uh, more obscure than maybe a lot of the films that we've covered in the past, but, you know, uh, and, and it, it's, it may not be like universally acclaimed. Uh, it's this little film, uh, like you said, directed by James Foley in 1986. It stars a young, I think, 25-year-old Sean Penn. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got well, a youngish. Christopher Walken, Mary Stuart Masterson, even Chris Penn. Uh, yeah, his brother, and, yeah. Yep, and even Sean's mother uh, is in the film playing his grandmother. Um, there's even, a, oh my gosh, uh, who else is in there? Crispin Glover is in this film. He has yep. a super small role. We've got Kiefer Sutherland is in this film. Again, almost almost a, a, an extra. I don't even know if he has. He's yes, feet. super, super. Uh, super yeah. young. So it's an interesting film in that regards. You can see a lot of people at the beginning of their careers but yeah, I mean, I, you know, just kind of my personal relationship to the film, this was a film that, uh, that I saw when it was probably, you know, I was maybe 12 years old or so. So I, I saw this at home. Uh, and actually, it was a film that my father really liked. And he was a big fan of Christopher Walken's. And he felt like the performances between Sean Penn and Christopher Walken were were fantastic in this film and I have to say I agree so this is mm -hmm. a film that I actually kind of grew up on watched this young and it was a pretty intense film as you can imagine watching it at such a young age yes um, yeah so so uh so that's kind of my relationship to it saw it when I was young it was my father was a fan he introduced me to it so I have kind of that warm fuzzy you know kind of nostalgic you know father-son uh, kind of relationship to this film. Thankfully, mm -hmm. nowhere near the kind of father-son relationship that, that occurs in the film. And, and yes, Sean yeah. Penn, yeah. Uh, thankfully, nowhere near anything like that. Um, but, uh, and I think you and I have talked about this. You've talked about how your father, you know, that's a big part of why you love film, watching mm -hmm. films with your father. This is the exact same thing with me. Uh, so yeah, that that's, and you know, I was kind of thinking of films to suggest for the podcast. And I wanted to suggest something that maybe people hadn't heard of, uh, maybe not an obvious choice. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's probably not going to be on anybody's you know top ten list or anything like that. Not even close. Um, it was the critical reception was split when the film came out, and it was definitely not a commercially successful film. Um, but uh, and matter of fact, I mean James Foley. I think the latest things that he's done. Uh, he did some of the House of Cards episodes, but he, yeah. he directed the, the two sequels to the Fifty Shades of Grey, or is that- Not that even the original, just the Not sequels. Even, yeah, yeah, the two sequels. And so I, I have no idea. I can't speak to anything about those films. It's it's uh, not a film that I was interested. Those films were not films I was interested in seeing, so I've not mm -hmm. seen them. I can't speak to them. Uh, but he's still out there making movies, apparently. Um, yeah, yeah. And this was one of his biggest. He also directed Glengarry Glenn Ross. That's yeah. probably a film that most people might know him by. And mm -hmm. obviously everybody knows Penn and Walken and, but, uh, 
but yeah, so so I did suggest it, and I'm really curious to hear about you know your viewing. Your well, I, I think it's actually it. funny that, yeah. that you suggest this movie because a few weeks ago, um, a friend of mine, Yona Lewis, who is a, a great director here in Toronto, and, and actually just had a really successful um, film release uh, at TIFF 2019 before, of course, the pandemic shut everything down. Mm. Um, but he um, posted uh, he on their their production company Instagram page Lisa Pictures they just post kind of like screenshots of movies that they like and are watching at the time and stuff like that and so a few weeks ago um, this shot from one of the shots from this movie the shot of Christopher Walken and Christopher uh, Penn talking in the field was posted Uh, to their account and it's like beautiful I think it's the best looking shot in the movie Um, and I just was very fascinated with it and thought that it was like, it's a very mesmerizing image. And what a it's funny that you then suggested this movie and I didn't even realize that they were the same movie until that scene <laughs> came along. And then I, I was like, I've seen this really well, see, your friend has good taste. So I, yeah. So I went and scrolled back and lo and behold, there it was on the, uh, on their Instagram. So um, funny that that's just like a little, you know, a coincidence, but um, yeah, so yeah, I yeah. had never seen this movie before. Um, and yeah, it was one of those movies that, like, I think what will make this episode really interesting is um, it was much more of a, a the scene to scene of it was was relatively hit or miss. And I don't mean okay. that in a completely negative way. Um, but I what made it really interesting, I think, for me to watch it, um, and I almost think that that was, in a way, a positive in terms of the viewing experience, because I was super engaged throughout yeah. Um, like this movie really kind of almost challenged me mentally to like, think about why things aren't working for me or think about, you know, what would I have done differently or, or mm. even just on a, on a matter of like the cinematography, you know, what, um, what isn't working for me in certain scenes. Now, and I that's got a question. kind of interesting. I got a yeah, question sure. to add. Yeah. yeah. So, so to riff on this, so I'm curious. So, I mean, I, I kind of, you know, as, as people who are so obsessed with film, you know, mm-hmm. I find myself doing this pretty frequently throughout films, period, right? No matter what the film is. I'm guessing oh, absolutely. You, yeah. And I'm guessing yeah. you do too, but I'm curious. I mean, did you feel like the story didn't didn't kind of pull you in or the characters didn't pull you in, you know, more than your average film? And is that why you were kind of focused more on, No, you know, I actually thought the story was uh, strong. I thought that okay. the, the script was strong and that it, there was nothing. Um, I see. You know, again, there was, there, there was, I would, I wouldn't really describe it as like the highs were highs and the lows were lows because there weren't yeah. really any lows. Um, like okay. there was nothing in the movie that I found myself scoffing at or going like, that was horrible. <laughs> um, it was more so just that there were elements of it that I thought, um were missed opportunities in a way okay that i feel like the the and we'll of course get into details of of like the scene to scene in a bit but right um there were just a few moments in the movie that stuck out to me as you know that could have really really impacted me had it been done just slightly differently or or had they gone a little bit further with certain things and i don't mean of course you know ramping up gore or anything like that but just right certain like you know, tweaks in, in the way that scenes are directed or the scenes or the way that scenes are edited or staged. Um, and I think that the reason that I really like watching movies like this and, and movies that I, you know, even though, um, you know, I wasn't blown away, uh, that I think the thing that I really like about watching movies like that is that it does really get your brain working and it gets your brain thinking like, okay, where, where did it work and where did, did it not for me? And, yeah. and so, and, and, you know, Aside from that as well, I think this movie is like oozing with choice in terms of direction. It's oozing with character. It's very well directed in um, my personal opinion. Yeah. I, I feel and it's, like it's really strongly directed. You can feel the vision in it. I think that that's yeah. something that, that is, 
indicative of, of very much of the time that it came out that that movies were just in my opinion a like on a grander scale less of a product and and of course they were always designed to make money and that's that's what filmmaking right. the industry of filmmaking has always been but in a very like real sense you know i would take i would take this movie over most movies that have come out in the past 20 years simply because <laughs> of the fact that i feel like there was choice in it and there was there well, was there was distinct choice yeah yeah let's talk about that for a second i mean you know context is important so hmm. you know to kind of put this film back right we're talking 1986 you know this this is i think it had a budget of six and a half million dollars at the time which you know would definitely make this a small mid-budget film even then yeah i do the math on inflation, but maybe you're looking at what, $20 million today or $25 million today. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's a sadness to me that I don't think these kind of, you know, made for adult, you know, audiences, these mature films that are character driven. Um, I, I just don't think that this many that films for wide theatrical release, right? Especially, yes. Yeah. That's just not now, you know, where would this film exist in today's day and age? This film maybe would exist on Netflix. Maybe this would exist at Amazon Prime. It would mm -hmm. be buried, you know, pages deep in their search, his, you know, in the, in the search results and you'd likely never find it. Um, uh, so it's, I, I, I'm sad that these kind of films don't exist so much anymore. So when I watch this film, I kind of look back, you know, sure, rose colored glasses, a bit of nostalgia, but you know, I've already admitted that, <laughs> that I'm definitely looking this at this film nostalgically, but mm -hmm. I, I think it's sad that we don't have films like this. Uh, yeah. Like when, when you can really just feel the idea that, that it's, it's kind of raw filmmaking in a way that it's just well, this people going much, out to tell a story. And this would like, be an independent film today. Like this yeah. would be, and course, I mean, like yeah, indie, yeah. indie. Like this yeah. would be an indie, indie film if it were. Made yeah, this today. would maybe get a premiere at like Sundance or something. Yeah, uh, if if it were lucky. Um, um, and so yeah, I, I do think that that's. I mean, again, the thing that I, I I think is really interesting, and I really want to kind of emphasize too, is that you know I I watched some of my favorite movies in the same way that a lot of the movies that I think affected me or that I grew up loving or that I still love to this day um, are very much movies that I, I do still find a lot of faults in. Mm -hmm. um, and even more recently, like a movie um, like Split that Shyamalan did, I think back in 2017, uh, I think that came out. It was, it was the sequel, the secret sequel to Unbreakable starring James McAvoy. I and, think I've seen that. Film. Um, yeah. You know, that's a movie that didn't, go crazy it was kind of heralded as Shyamalan's comeback like Return, didn't get yeah. like a cue like it wasn't like it blew the box office away or something like that yeah 2016 um, that's a movie that, that I, I really yeah 2016 with, and with that's, that's a movie that I really yeah. liked uh and like because because again and the reason I'm comparing it to this is just because I felt like there was a lot of creative decision behind it yeah. there was a lot of passion there's behind perspective. it Shyamalan, and there's, there's perspective opinion. and there's yeah. point of view yeah yeah so so when I say that like there are you know I don't mean to sound necessarily nitpicky with um, a movie like this, but rather, again, to me, I take any movie, whether it's great or whether it's really bad, as kind of more of an exercise for learning. Um, and right. so that's that's very much where I'm coming from with with the, gotcha. the critique to this. Yeah. So um, I think so. If I'm understanding, it's not so much well, like, is it a good or bad film, or what? It, it's more about you know, anytime 
an artist has a strong opinion. They're coming from a strong point of view or perspective. I mean, naturally, some of these things are going to maybe not be the points of view that you have. And exactly. so, yeah. and that's, yeah. but that's what's wonderful. I mean, I see those things and it makes me smile. I, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, and I think that's what you're saying too. Oh, yeah, that, I had no trouble making it through this movie. Like, I think yeah. that's another thing that's important to say is that there was, you know, it, it wasn't a point, like, even when I saw things that I didn't necessarily like, jive with yeah um there it wasn't me looking at this you know my watch and going like okay when's this going to be over i was thoroughly engaged thoroughly enjoying myself throughout and again a lot of that i think is because of the fact that i was kind of like picking it apart in my brain as it went along and i was kind yeah. of like going like that's a really interesting choice um and i again i would take an interesting choice that doesn't work over a <laughs> over no choice, choice that, that doesn't work <laughs> over content 10 times out of 10 over, yeah, over content, content quote exactly. unquote. i mean it's um, it's also fun too i just want to talk a little bit just as we're kind of talking about context the era of the film there's some fun kind of little pieces of of trivia i guess for lack of a better term as to how this mm -hmm. film kind of came to be uh, you know, if we take ourselves back to 1986, you know, this is in the beginning, obviously, of, of Sean Penn's career. Uh, he had done, you know, what, a handful of films, but, mm -hmm. um, uh, but he was like, but he was definitely on the rise. And it's my understanding that he actually, uh, he brought this film to Foley. So he had the script um, mm -hmm. and uh, he took it to Foley. And apparently that uh, um, Foley's first film which was a film in night that was released in 84 called Reckless. Uh, Sean Penn actually auditioned for that film. Obviously he didn't get cast, but the two became friends. I, is my understanding so much so in fact, that, uh, that Sean Penn actually lived with Foley. For, oh, wow. For I did not know that. Yeah. For roughly yeah. about a year, uh, you know, before they started shooting on this film. So it's, it's my understanding that, you know, the two of them really, worked this film, massaged the script, worked the story, uh, worked the characters together for a long period of time before they went into production. So mm -hmm. it's very much, you know, I think you could say that, you know, Sean Penn had, you know, at least as much to do with this film as Foley. Um, uh, and that's what sense. an interesting uh, relationship to have with the director too, that, right. Like, I mean, I'm, I imagine that means that on the set of this, um, they would have probably had a really, really unique working relationship. That, I would imagine that, a very close one. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's one of the things that I think is, is really crucial to any director is I, I, I can't imagine being a director who, and some directors don't care, but some directors just like they'll, they'll hire anyone on their crew. They don't have to know them. They don't really care about their prior history with them that they're mm -hmm. just, just kind of more of like, as long as they get the job done. Um, whereas I find that I kind of relate a lot more to directors who, you know, keep the same crew keep working with the same crew and have built yeah. up that relationship and i think cast as well and um you know there's nothing more difficult for me not that i have difficulty or trouble meeting new people or speaking to people i don't know but rather that um you know i, I can just imagine that one of the reasons that sean penn's performance in this movie is so strong is because they that the director just probably they had a very clear understanding of each other um, yeah. and and likely had a very easy time communicating yeah so well, so no, much that's again, I don't know. I don't know what the production of this movie was like. There's not a lot of information on it, but yeah. um, but I would assume that, that that would be a really positive thing for performances and for. Um, well, I would think know. so for most of the, I mean, I, and I'm the same as you. I mean, when I work, I mean, it, it's, I, I mean, I, I'll be really perfectly quite honest. I mean, I, 
you know, it, it's helpful for me, whether I'm acting, whether I'm directing, you know, to, to feel really comfortable around the people I'm working with is a really mm -hmm. important thing for me. I, and it, just from a self-confidence perspective, from a, a vulnerability of performance perspective, from, you know, feeling like I have a, you know, space for, you know, for my authentic voice, which it can be scary, I, I think, if yeah. you're working around people that you don't know well, or, you know, and, it's, and it's, it's, it's not so much, you know, that there's an issue with them or whatever, it's just you don't know them, you know, so it's all of us feel more comfortable around people that we actually know. So, you know, when I direct things, you know, often you don't have the you know, time, you know, most people are, you don't have time to go like live, you know, invite your, your lead actors over to live with you for a year yes. before you shoot, yeah. you know, we don't, but, but this one of the no, things a lot of I times love. I don't think people would want to, but no, no, no. And let me be clear. That's not what I would want either. Yeah. That's a bit extreme. And I think that kind of happened because Sean actually didn't have a place yeah, to live. I think live. that was just a, he was exactly, living, exactly. yeah, he was living with his girlfriend and, and actually it's another, you know, speaking of girlfriends, of course, Sean Penn, uh, had started dating Madonna at this point. And mm -hmm. uh, clearly she's involved in the film. If you watch the ending credits, she, she's got the largest credit in, you know, of the, the entire crawl. It's like the first song it's the or first, it's the first credit. It's yeah. the first credit. And it's the, I mean, her, her font is, you know, like five times the font of everybody else's credit there. But, mm -hmm. but of course, you know, she provided the, I guess, you know, the theme song for the film, Live to Tell. And uh, I, I'm not a big Madonna fan. I we were just talking about this, Colin. You know, I grew up though when Madonna was, you know, her and Michael Jackson were the largest pop stars in the world. Yeah. And Madonna. It's hard to explain. You know, you had kind of said, well, yeah, she was kind of like the Lady Gaga of, and I was like, huh, I don't even know if that does it. Because yeah, back yeah. then, when you had MTV and terrestrial radio and vinyl records, and that was about it. Uh, and audiences weren't so splintered among so many avenues. I mean, it was like the cat, you know, the Madonna's album sales at that period of time are, were just astronomical. You know, mm -hmm. it just, it's every, it was, she was just a huge uh, popular culture phenomenon. But anyway, my point is just that, you know, because of her involvement with Sean Penn, we get her providing uh, a track for the film, which was more successful than the film itself. Yeah. And we actually have Madonna's, uh, her kind of like musical, uh, I guess, co-creator, if you will. I mean, um, the, uh, the guy who provides the score for the film uh, actually worked with her. Patrick Leonard was actually a co-songwriter, co-writer and co-producer for m most of her huge hits from that era, mm -hmm. was her musical director on her big tours, the Virgin tour. And so, um, and you can kind of, we can talk about the score a little bit later, when we get to that, but it's just interesting kind of all these little relationship kind yeah, of the connections. You know, connections. Between, yeah. And, and of course that's, that's kind of like how we find like all of the people I, or many of the people that we, you know, that I end up working on films. It's kind of a, it's interesting to kind of look back. I don't know, Colin, if you've done this, you kind of, it's amazing. I'll, just a little like web of connections that you make and people that yeah. you meet and surprisingly um, small world. <laughs> it's a surprisingly tiny world. But anyway, that's yeah. that's kind of like a fun thing for me to kind of like look at for films. I'm like, how do these people meet each other? How do these people yeah. come together? It's like I wouldn't expect Madonna to to be providing at the like height of her fame to be providing a song for this little six and a half million dollar film, you know. But mm -hmm. um Super interesting. I guess too, you know, just to kind of kind of give a little bit of background on this to the story. And mm -hmm. I was curious about, you know, if you felt like the story, was it something that, that grabbed you? Um, but it, you know, the the father-son kind of relationship aspect of this film was something that 
uh, that struck me. I think like any any son, uh, regardless of what your relationship with is your father is like, is probably, I mean, it's like, you know, your desire for your father to be proud of you, to be accepted yes. by your father. Yeah. This is the kind of a fundamental kind of aspect, I think. Of it's what a very it's, simple story, yeah. It's very simple. And I think it's like we all can relate. So even though, yes, this the story is about, and actually it's very loosely based on a true story uh, and a book called Jailing the Johnston Gang uh, was about these criminals, this gang of criminals in rural Pennsylvania, um, very loosely based on that. I don't think they cared at all about trying to stay close to any yeah, kind of set in Tennessee and yeah. exactly so it doesn't even but but uh but I don't know that aspect of it always you know it resonated with me did yeah, you did yeah. you feel any of that did that kind of come across to you like kind of what was your take on the story overall and I, yeah no I, I think that it was um the story is engaging I mean it's it's again it's a very simple story which I think works in its favor it's um the I think what's and I think of what's really a testament to Penn's performance, especially is that you do feel definitely the motivation there of, yeah. of his character. Like he, he plays that, but not in a, such a ridiculously, you know, it's not like a dance movie where he's like, I just want to dance, you know. You, are you talking your, about Footloose? Yeah, because yeah, that maybe. movie's awesome. <laughs> or Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo. But, hey, now, um, hey, so wait, is that our next two films then? Footloose and Breaking 2? <laughs> like, all right, two. awesome. Let me write that down. <laughs> the Dancing Pregnant Ladies, they're, they're the best. <laughs> But um, but no, you really do. There's like an element to it that you really feel through come through Penn's performance, and I think that that um, not to say that the, the story doesn't you know isn't engaging on its own because I think the story is 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 wonderful in, in terms of the way it's written and the way it's presented. Yeah. Um, but I think you get this very um, nuanced performance from Penn. You know, I think that Penn's a very understated actor in that he doesn't like even right from well, the in opening this film, scene. Not always. Yeah, you, not, not always. always yeah, there, there are to know. roles, yeah. of course, he gives where he's, he's he really chooses the scenery. Yeah, but he, um, but like even the opening scene in this film when he's just kind of like, you know, perhaps apart from the part where he rides the car, um, <laughs> but the the like the, uh -huh, just the way yeah. that he performs that that bit about you know give us the five dollars back and it's this really very again, understated. Not like he's not going crazy with it he's not like showing anger he's just kind of he's got this sort of like almost proto menace to him where you can see you know he did a really great job of almost like mimicking some of um some of christopher walken's kind of mannerisms in that yeah. way and so i think that that's that's something that shows what a talent he was and i think that plays into the story very well and really i, I think heightens the story and and um amplifies some of the elements of the story that are really important really key which is again that father-son relationship yeah. um you know and then of course walken's great as well he's got a perfect mustache and <laughs> just, like me, so. just like you that's right You've, you're rocking it's too bad people can't see but you have done an excellent job emulating Walken's mustache uh from his character in this film right now <laughs> yeah. we may have to change our cover art for this yes. episode to a close-up <laughs> of your mustache it's so fantastic but that close I, range, I, yeah. I do <laughs> oh my gosh right so that's yeah I, I we could riff on that for a long time but right what was that close range the mustache was exactly close range <laughs> yeah I no but it. I but again it's it's that's exactly what I think is so great I think that this movie again is a really perfect example of like I said just that kind of 
well, you can really story feel everybody well. involved wanted to be there and wanted to be involved and wanted to be making this and and you know walking hams up the, the scenery and and is is very walking in that way very sleazy and, i think and it's a life. great performance yeah. we could get no, into it's, some it's fantastic later. Yeah. yeah yeah and i think too you know i do think that there was they did a good job so uh, I don't know exactly where you can maybe speak to to kind of what environment you grew up in, but you know, for me, uh, I grew up in the Midwest, and you know, a lot of the time I spent in smaller towns. When I was I was born in a very 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 small town in the mm-hmm. boot heel, which is the southeast of Missouri, which is actually right there on the border of Tennessee. Um, so I grew up not too far away from where this was filmed, not where the the story factually took place in the book it was based on but where it was filmed um and i didn't live there too long though and we moved up uh, north to outside st louis but so much of my family was from there so my, my grandparents on both sides of my family i would spend a lot of time there on farms um, my mother's parents were farmers and mm-hmm. i would spend a lot of my summers there so i i definitely grew up in these kind of midwestern southern-ish rural areas and spent a lot of time there when i was a kid and i feel like they did a pretty darn good job of 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 capturing that just and i and i think you know some of the ways that that foley kind of manages and they're not obvious it's not flagrant it's not spectacle but just how he kind of handles things spatially with you know the you you mentioned the scene in the beginning where Sean Penn where he rides the hood of a car because Mm -hmm. a a guy has stolen five dollars from his brother said he would buy him alcohol and didn't Mm -hmm. um there's this this town square kind of centering the story there and starting it in this small town square and and we instantly know you know, where so the much. teenagers sort of hang out at night. We, yeah. Right. We instantly know so much about the film. I mean, you've got, you know, tractors slowing down traffic. If you've ever lived in a rural environment, you know that mm-hmm. that's <laughs> but they, it they, you know, I think told it so well. And, you know, the scenes with, you know, uh, of um, of Mary Stewart Masterson's character on the tractor you know, she lives in this, you know, this small house and they're surrounded by cornfields. And when, when Penn's character comes and they have this really, which I think is a quite sweet, uh, like representation of a young relationship starting, I think they really do a great job of that. Um, so I don't know, I just kind of want to commended Foley, commend Foley for, you know, I think establishing the setting and representing these characters in ways that I feel like I mm-hmm. recognized and, you know, I recognized these places and I felt like they did a good job with that. And there's a little subtle uh, shout out to Toronto in the movie. So there you go. Oh, what was the shout out? Tell <laughs> Walken me, tell says me. when he's speeding and he says, you could, you know, if you take the back uh, roads, you, you, you're going, uh, he goes, you can go to Tennessee to Toronto and that's right. cop the whole way. So I, and, and so I don't, you probably grew up in there. more, not only did you not grow up in, in the Southern United States, but you probably didn't grow up in a rural area. Yeah. Well, I mean, Toronto's funny, especially like most Canadian cities are funny in that way because, um, um, you know, Toronto's a massive city, like six, right. you know, over six million people. One and, of my favorites, um, by the way. And I'm and, not just saying that. But it doesn't take a long time to, you know, I live on, I live a city adjacent to Toronto on the lake, uh, Lake Ontario. And so, but it really doesn't take long to, you know, I drive half an hour away from my house and I'm in farmland. So it's yeah. really, there's not a lot of separation between, you know, rural, rural areas and, and rural towns and stuff here. And as, as I'm sure is very similar in the Midwest and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But so I, but I've never, you know, my whole family has always, you know, lived in, I would say the closest to um, 
you know, non-city living in terms of my immediate family is that my mom grew up in, in Newfoundland. Okay. Um, so she was born there and, and spent, you know, until she was a teenager and came here for university. But um, so there's that. And, you know, I've, I've gone out there and visited and, and several times and stuff like that. And it's a lovely place, but that's probably the closest in terms of my personal connection to kind of like living in the boonies and stuff like that. <laughs> I love it. Living um, in the boonies. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so there's, there's not really too much of like a personal, personal connection um, there for me, but I could feel, you know, one thing I did work at a, you know, summer camp and go to a summer camp for a lot of my life, but then wound up working there that is in this place in Southern Ontario named Dunville. And it's like this, um, it's this, again, very much like a town, like you would probably see in Tennessee, like lots yeah. of tractors slowing down traffic, all farms around it. Very, you know, simple, simple town. Yeah. Um, and so I thought that it was interesting that like what I thought was a really great job of this movie is that you can like feel the heat. You can feel that midsummer heat of like, you know, where it's, it's sort of humid and you get the dustiness. Oh, from the, yeah. Um, and there's, you know, there's no better thing than walking right. into some tree cover by a, like a little little pond or something and you can feel the, the cool air coming off of the pond and and so you know you really do feel the where i think a lot of other movies would just kind of skip over that that element of it the the feeling of it um, yeah this Heavy movie really air, buys into it heat. exactly yeah yeah, yeah. you're right I mean, the climates in the summer between you know you go from from up here where i live down to tennessee the climates during the summer months aren't a whole lot pretty different. much the same it's yeah. very humid up here gets and very hot, you know hot, and, uh, humid, hot yeah. and yeah so so it definitely did kind of speak to me in that way of just feeling the you know i think that i think again foley does a really good job of, of um making you feel just because it's not you know at, at its core it's technically a crime movie it's sort of like almost like a mob movie right um but it it isn't you know it's not goodfellas you're not you're not having these long montages of narration about like living in sicily or or that a family's right from it's definitely not lines. a new york film it's yeah, not so, just so you get Scorsese, this really yeah. interesting and very unique i think like a a, a a story that's not really been told elsewhere a whole lot about this kind of backcountry crime family and i want to um, say this is interesting too i just real quick because you mentioned like goodfellas and of course you know scorsese talks about how he grew up around these people right he yeah grew up in new york and he was kind of around these guys he saw these guys and you know like what 90 percent of his films are about these guys right mm -hmm, that's you mm -hmm. know uh i may be exaggerating but you know uh but not much but you know foley is from brooklyn yeah. believe it or not so it's yeah. not like Foley grew up in Tennessee or grew up in the Midwest or you know so I think uh you know cons especially considering uh he does a good job I mean it felt off doesn't feel disconnected me. yeah no, it doesn't no. feel like someone who's like just coming which there's a lot of movies that do um you know a good example of a movie that I think does feel quite di disconnected from both the geography and the story is the Christopher Nolan remake of Insomnia um, which of course is a remake of a Norwegian uh, film and the yes. Norwegian film of course because it's made by Norwegians in Norway um, really exudes the the, the space. northern yeah. feeling and that 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 you know that endless light that summer and whereas the Nolan film seems more like it's set in Alaska as opposed to Norway but it feels very much more like a director who hasn't really experienced a lot of this stuff going there and just trying to make a, a crime movie um, you know so it I, drops off a lot of the stuff that that makes it so geographically relevant and you know, i didn't feel that yeah. with this. Yeah. coincident i was just going to say coincidentally i i've seen insomnia uh 
uh, recently, and mm -hmm. I kind of thinking back to it now as you describe this, I would agree with you. And it, mm -hmm. of course, Nolan has gone on from that film to be, you know, one of the most successful directors pretty, yeah, in big the director, world. Yes, yeah. Uh, but I would, yeah, I would agree. I don't think that he utilized the set uh, and setting anywhere near to the extent of the, of the uh, effectiveness, rather, uh, that mm -hmm. Foley does in this film. And it's yeah. important because these characters how they relate to each other the the family is represented here uh it's it the rural nature the the kind of i don't know poor close to poor lower middle class for yes sure, definitely right? you know you go in and people spend their days smoking cigarettes on john couches watching tv drinking you know, beer and it's yeah, yeah. yeah. and this is it's true it, this is true you know, there's nothing to do and you know kids you live a hundred miles from nowhere you know from everywhere kids got nothing to do but you know drive their cars around town in circles and you know get into trouble so yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah so it's definitely it feels very much again sort of and i, I mentioned this um to you but that 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 it, it's interesting that we've done this um so close to rumblefish because it yeah. does have you know of course different stories and, and very different styles but um but sort of almost similar con like they're related and look at the yeah. father-son relationships right yeah. you have yeah. think about it wow so we're gonna like psychoanalyze me here in a second so this is about <laughs> brothers this film is about brothers and their father kind yeah. of at its core and look at what a huge part that was right we've got two brothers and although I don't think the relationship with the father was really uh, at the heart of Rumblefish in the way it is, obviously, for this film, it's there. It definitely, it almost important. switches the the focus from the relationship of the brothers to this relationship of the father. So, um, hmm, you're right, and they're so both, yeah. like, definitely set in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. uh, they're both films that came out, they came out very close, uh, uh, 86 for this film and when was a three right for Rumblefish I, I think so around there yeah. so see it so these were films that I was watching when I was a kid and clearly they resonated with me uh yeah very yeah. interesting very interesting so I do think that's yeah so I I, I um I just yeah this is kind of one of the things that I noticed yeah. that they're 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 some, I, and, and I would so, agree with you and the performances there's kind of some similarities you yeah. talked about how you felt like Sean Penn you you could kind of feel a certain sense of Matt Dillon yeah, very uh, similar, you know, I guess just styles of characters, you know, yeah, this, like, this, this kind of, I guess, drifting kid doesn't know where he's supposed to belong and kind of like wears, you know, tank tops is sort of a tough guy and, and is a right. little bit of a grease monkey in a way and, uh, <laughs> you know, sort of similar, similar characters. Um, yeah, that's very I do think interesting. it's interesting that 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 we did those movies so close together. Well, um, and, and Frank, I mean, it was not consciously intended, man. It was just literally yeah. I'm, I'm sitting here saying, OK, what what films are kind of, when I just ask myself the question, what would I like to watch again? What yeah. do I think would be interesting to discuss? Uh, these are the film. These are the films that have come up. I, I'm definitely not sitting here trying to calculate, well, what films would 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 people be most interested in or something like that right. I, yeah, I, yeah. there's no way that i could ever guess and so i just take what's interesting to me and then fingers crossed i hope it's interesting for someone else and yeah and and of course a big part of it is that uh i i am curious to hear your perspective and have a you know a conversation with you about these films um so it, you know, obviously i i can never see this film in any kind of objective way because again it is a film from my childhood so it's like curious to have this conversation with you because you do have a much more, you have a totally objective viewpoint on mm -hmm. it. You know, you have no history with it. So, well, I, you know, so speaking of, you know, thinking about talking with this, talking about the film to, to you, 
one of the things I'm surprised that you didn't mention it like instantly because I was just waiting for you. I was like waiting for the text from you, you know, the cinematography. Mm -hmm. uh, it, one of the things that it was immediately noticeable to me, I mean, first of all, I think overall, I think it's a, it's a really beautiful film on the whole. But mm -hmm. one of the things that really jump out to me is that you've got longer lenses and I know Very you're, long, uh, yeah, yeah. and I know that you're a big wide lens fan and you want to shoot everything with like an 11 or something. And, <laughs> and I, I, well, I, and I, what do you mean? What are you saying? I like now. <laughs> and I know, and I, and I know that's kind of your orientation to it, but immediately you notice long lenses, mm -hmm. you notice a lot of compression and you also a lot of close-ups, a lot of close-ups with these long lenses. Now it, it, people look beautiful with these long lenses for sure, but mm -hmm. it's definitely not a style. I think you would see it, you know, a film shot in today, um, I, and I, I could, obviously, when I watched this as a kid, it wasn't something that, that stood out to me. I wasn't sitting there saying, oh, look at those long lenses and these mm -hmm. close-ups. But now watching it, I was pretty surprised by the lack of, you know, medium shots. There's, there's hardly any, you know, and no over the shoulders. All, I mean, it's like you've got two people talking to each other and you just see their face. And yeah, we yeah. And there's an example of actually a moment like that. Um, in the movie that I can think of that that was one of those moments where it was one of the kind of sticking out moments where I kind of went hmm, that like I think I would have done that differently and right I, I think well, the too. part when when yeah. Christopher Walken walks in the house mm -hmm. um to talk to the mother and it like follows him entering the house and walking over to the kitchen where she's standing she's doing something in the kitchen yeah and to me what would make that scene really interesting to me is is if you just stuck on that wide of both of them in the kitchen and almost just played out the whole scene just in that single shot but as soon as walking gets in the kitchen it um they're isolated it cuts into it cuts into they're the floating the heads they're floating yeah, so, heads yeah there's so a I lot thought of that places was really like again it and so again it's it's one of those things that's certainly a, a it's not an objective thing it's very subjective so um you know different directors like different things um so it was interesting it's always interesting to see kind of the opposite of of what i would do stylistically in a movie and see kind of how that works and um, i feel like some in some ways it was almost shot for tv in some ways mm -hmm. now, of course, yeah perhaps now, of it was budgetary yeah and maybe yeah. that was a budgetary situation uh, but you know but only only in the you know i don't want to give the impression though that the whole film is shot this way there's definitely some conversations where you might normally have you might you know use wider shots or two shots or, mm -hmm. or or wider over the shoulders where you really see both characters talking and and those are kind of some of the instances where you really see these close-ups and you yeah. don't usually see that today it's in those circumstances where maybe you'd have a wider over the shoulder and now you just have i mean seriously it's like from chin to top of head Mm -hmm. almost or you know from like neck to top of head close up so it's uh the, the, the people look beautiful but it is a little bit does stand out well and that's the other thing too is that you're not because this film is 235 but it's not anamorphic um it's mm -hmm. it's a spherical widescreen and just so it's probably a two perf um you know process right um you're not getting, you know, the advantage of having a, a, an anamorphic lens is, of course, if you want to shoot on a long lens like a 50, you're still getting the 25 width. You're still getting the, the horizontal value of a 25 millimeter lens. So yeah. in an instance like this, where like, let's say, you know, James Foley wanted just close up, close up after close up, had this been shot on a real 
anamorphic lens as opposed to spherical lenses, you would have almost gotten more width from those shots and it wouldn't have felt so tight, so um, tight. tight and close up. And, and so that's kind of an interesting choice too there is, is that they didn't shoot on anamorphic, they shot on spherical lenses. And I, I also that think it's funny too that- um, that Oh yeah, been, of course. A exactly. lot of this is shot at, at, out exterior at night. Yeah, um, so it's likely that they did the lens, like anamorphics are always gonna be slower lenses than, than right. spherical. So I think a lot of it was, yeah, just that, like it'll be hell to try and shoot this on anamorphic at night, considering that we don't really have the time nor the budget to light intricately at night. Yeah. Um, but I also think it's it's one thing that I noticed that's really neat is like every close up of Christopher Walken in, inside, there's always like this underlight, you know, this light that comes yeah. up from under him into like at the table in the restaurant. And there are some scenes where it's um, really obvious yeah, and it's yeah. totally unmotivated. And you mm -hmm. noticed some other places where we have unmotivated light yes, here, yeah. uh, which I, which I, you know, I, that doesn't bother me necessarily. Yeah, um, I don't mind it depending on the style. Um, I would yeah. say like another moment of unmotivated light is when they drown. Um, I can't remember the character's name, but this this guy that's kind of like you sort of like Lester, a I think is his Lester, name. So, a, yeah, yeah. Um, and so they drown him in, in the, the woods, and, and it's this night. They're in like this kind of like little pond, and in the middle of the night, and there's this very clear spotlight that is like shining down right on the part of the pond that they drowned him in and again it was one of those things that to me um again likely was just a thing that they couldn't have an intricate setup because budget and time was too short but to me it was like one of those things again i don't count this as a negative towards the film because it's it's still like i'm still learning something about like what i would do um but like if i were to you know, shoot that scene, I would take that light, I would drop it down to the level that they were on, and I would put it kind of almost perpendicular to them so that you only almost see the outlines of the, the actors. As and then it could be to, kind of motivated, you think. Yeah, it's and, from so, a car and, and I would dim or, it yeah. down and make it less, but it, it really is. I mean, it does just sort of look like a spotlight right on the two guys. It's not, you know, so I think that that there's definitely moments like that throughout the film. And, and that was kind of the thing that was interesting is that almost every element of this movie, there were moments that I really liked, and there were moments that didn't not necessarily didn't work for me, but more so like disagreed. Yeah, you just with thought, me. hey, I do it different. Yeah. Um, so, well, so, but I thought that it's interesting that nothing in the film was like totally A or B. It was very, it was a very mixed kind of uh, thing. Um, so, like, because as I said, there were shots in this movie that I think are absolutely beautiful. Um, you know, the conversation between Christopher Walken and Christopher Penn at the end is, is this really beautiful the shot that was posted um, that on, that, last, on my friend's that Instagram. Last supper, the Last Supper scene, yeah. uh, oh, where, they're, yeah. where they're kind of posed, uh, where the gang is, is mulling over their, the next actions they need to take. And yeah. they're all sitting at the table and we've got this beautiful, now that is wide, we have this really wide mm -hmm. shot and this beautiful haze and the light coming in across them, this beautiful God rays kind of coming through the window. Yeah. And we have this slow, slow, slow push and it's all one shot. We never break in and, you know, and uh, start doing like singles or anything of the conversation mm -hmm. from, I mean, there are some extremely beautiful shots. I think we hadn't mentioned his name and, and boy, I'm going to apologize now for probably mispronouncing his last name, but the, the DP on this film was Juan Ruiz Anchia. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, but, but say, uh, yeah, and she are, and yeah, uh, and the, I think, the Spanish yeah. cinematographer, and yeah. he's done a ton of work uh, with David Mamet, would be, mm -hmm. um, and, and Mike Figgis. But, you know, this is his fourth film. And, mm -hmm. you know, so his first film was in 1984. Um, and he, he also did Glen Gary, Ross. Yep. And he did Glen Gary, he did House of Games. He's done a lot of, um, he did, um, I'm trying to think there were a few other Mammoth films. I feel, yeah, he did Spartan. 
he did Phil Spector, which Mamet wrote. Um, so mm -hmm. he, he, but I think his work overall is really actually quite nice. It yeah, was, I mean, there's was, the one shot right after Terry is assaulted by Christopher Walken in yeah. the film that it's her and her mother sitting at the table. I thought that like it's a really beautiful shot where you get this like a natural light coming in through the screen yeah. door and it just kind of pulls back of from the two use. of them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like, so I there's think... a lot of really great stuff, and again, even the stop, the shots that that you know are, are less motivated light, um, or or the shots that I pointed out as as you know, I would do differently. They still look good. You know, at the end of the day, they still, they still do look really good. There's yeah. good texture. There's good depth, and you know, and most importantly, and I think this is key for all cinematography. I mean, it, it's it it it's motivated by the story. It it uh, works well with the story. It's uh, there's a lot of visual storytelling going on here. You can tell a lot about the relationships of the characters by you know how they're presented together. So yeah, I uh, I have to say like it's it's an especially for the budget, uh, the cinematography of this film rises well above the cinematography yes. of yeah. most of the films that this film would have been released a, you know around. I, there's no. And question. I think that the other big thing too, for me at least, is like if a movie has really bad cinematography, it's not really worth talking about. <laughs> So, so the fact right. that we yes. are like really picking this apart and looking at it and analyzing it no, to me is more so proof of yeah, no, it's the a fact that, that it's interesting. And there's, again, and as I said, with, in terms of the direction, I will take a choice that, that um, you know, doesn't necessarily line up with my instincts a thousand times over, over no choice at all or just something that's boring. Or, or yeah. something just boring, yeah. Well, there's a so, couple shots yeah. I want to steal. So if you... Exactly, uh, yeah, there's so, actually some really... So you'll be I, watching again, a future just that, film. That lower shot, for, like the light <laughs> that goes below walk and is like, it's a little bit on the nose in a few scenes where it's very, it very works. clear. But it works. It works, even it, though, know, I mean, even in my mind, I'm like, this is this is me holding a flashlight under my chin while I tell a ghost story at the campfire. Yes. I mean, yeah. I'm literally, I'm, I'm like, it still works. And walking is such a great facial structure for it too. Like the way oh, that his cheekbones are Well, let's talk about and, that. Because yeah. performances is another area where this film, I think, really shines. Yes. I, yeah. think it, I mean, you know, um, I think you've got an extremely strong performance from Sean Penn. And, you know, you, you mentioned him a little earlier and we were talking about how his performance here is very understated. And it is, and it's, you know, that the film that he made right before this film, and it's another film that I highly recommend, which is The Falcon and the Snowman. I mean, his character is over the top. I mean, it is way out there. Mm -hmm. And so that's his performance right before this one. You know, so it's not something you would instantly and automatically expect from Penn that he would have this kind of nuanced and subtle performance. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a quiet performance, I would actually call this, like a shy performance almost, actually. I mean, um, yeah, the, he does not, have a swagger. Yeah. He does have a confidence, but he's actually kind of a shy kid. Well, here. and even in the moments where, like, you'd expect, you know, his girlfriend has just been shot and killed. Like, he's not, he's not doing the, you know, Stella. Like, he's not like sitting <laughs> there God. freaking out, and, and you know, it's very much he just kind of silently. Yeah, I would say the most he he gets up in terms of emotion is is right at the end of like the kind of the climax we, scene in the kitchen. Can we have an extra like a like a special like a special edition of this podcast where you do some monologues from like Streetcar or something? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Could you? Okay, because we'll I, go through a whole bunch of uh, like Summer and Smoke and Streetcar Named Desire. Because I the, thought uh, that Stella Williams. was just fantastic, man. I mean, <laughs> I, I I don't know, man. Were you meant maybe to be, Rebel Without 
a cause. Would you, were you meant to be behind the camera? Because I don't know, buddy. <laughs> Do you have a manager yet, Colin? Because uh, you sign me <laughs> up. I can help you out. They'll cast me as the next, uh, next. Uh, <laughs> the next what? Name? What would you want to be, Marlon? Brando? I was going to say the Jimmy next... Dean, but I was like, there already are <laughs> several Dean. of those. Um, <laughs> I think Jimmy Dean is sausages. <laughs> yes, that's a good point. Yes. Uh, so I guess yes, we could cast you as the next Jimmy Dean. We'll put you. Maybe in I'll be the sausage. next John Penn. We'll do a remake of uh, At Close Range. With, and, but and I, I will go completely crazy with it. I'm, I could be I could be Chris Walken because yeah. I am old enough. I'm about his age when he played hmm. that. And I don't want Sean. anything to do with you, Dad. <laughs> yeah. So let's. I mean, that's another. You know, Chris Walken. You know, Chris. So apparently, I mean, obviously, I kind of already. I I I already told the story about how you know Pin actually was kind of the prime mover behind this project. He mm -hmm. had the script. He brought the script to Foley. Um, so he was, and he's the reason why the film was was financed, as I understand it. But you know, they really had to fight for Chris Walken. Uh -huh. um, it's my understanding that the studio didn't want him, that, you know, he was not on the list at that time. He was, you know, he had done the deer hunter, but this is, you know, that's almost a decade ago. Yeah. I don't really, he, he hadn't been in a lot of big films, so they didn't consider him to be a box office draw at the time. So they wanted to admit a much bigger name, basically. So they really had to fight Foley and Penn for walking, but I'm sure glad that they did it. Yeah. I, you know, Foley was talking about in the commentary for the film uh, about how uh, different the two actors uh, worked. And this is always fascinating to me. Most of my background in, in study and experience is in acting. So I'm, this is an area where I'm, you know, just really interested in how people work because for every actor, there's a different way to work. I, every actor works a little differently, but apparently, you know, and I, Sean had worked with the director, they had honed in on the character. You know, Sean had had the script and worked with the director for like a year before, but Chris Walken comes in a little later and they work so differently, but Sean was very, very meticulous and specific with his character. But Walken mm -hmm. was like much looser and kind of, you know, improvising a bit and kind of feeling things out on, you know, on set during takes. Um, and so it's interesting that they had such different experience, but there's a fun little story. Um, the scene at the end, which I think is a fantastic scene between the two of them, right? Where Penn confronts his father mm -hmm. at gunpoint in the kitchen after he had uh, attempted to kill him and had successfully killed his girlfriend. And his uh, brother. And his brother, right. I mean, yeah, and his brother. So he's killed his brother, he's killed his girlfriend, and he, this, he, Sean is riddled with bullets himself. He's patched himself up and he's holding Walken at gunpoint. I think it's a fantastically acted scene. And mm -hmm. I think Walken's performance especially is outstanding. But, but hearing Foley tell the story, apparently Chris, he could not remember his lines to save his life. And, and, and he doesn't I think almost kind of works. And, and, <laughs> but, and I was like, he doesn't even hardly have any lines. I yeah. mean, it's not like he has a monologue or something. You know, he's kind of just reacting. You know, to question like, you know, yeah. what? No, you know, he's just kind of responding. You to think this. I killed your brother? You, yeah. I didn't kill your brother. Yeah. <laughs> I love the accent. I love it. I've been, I, you know, I. What um, do you mean? I've been, I've been getting drunk and going to nudie bars. <laughs> I, I mean, love that's it. Kind of his line the whole scene. But yeah, so there's not much there, but apparently they had to put his lines on cards behind the <laughs> behind the camera. That's hilarious. Poor so, Marlon so, Brando. But it works out so well because it's like, you know, you think Chris is like he can't look his son, you know, in the eyes. You know, it looks like he's, you know, he's just 
this this huge this just like cauldron of you know terror that he's being held at gunpoint but but this you know but also like uh, uh, how can i find my way out of this what yeah, can sort i of say an arrogance my, uh, still about like him, arrogance still or this you know he's trying to you know i'm your father i still have the power you may have the mm -hmm. gun but i'm your dad i still control you he's still you know there's that all that going on and a lot of it is just like he's looking over to the side to read his lines off the card <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think honestly, it's one of those rare situations where that almost works, though, because he it does. Great, yeah. They're, they're definitely what I've read from that scene, and without knowing that, is just that like he's like he's not going to do it, like you know, right? You know, I'm like he like just kind of this like perceived again this arrogance of this character to to just be like you know I'm son, come on, you're not you're not going to shoot your old man. So I think that that's really interesting. Um, that that actually was something that was possibly accidental just from the fact that he had to which is again also funny because he really doesn't have a lot of lines you know this yeah, is not a no it was just funny not a marlon I, brando in apocalypse now where he like refused to memorize you know three-page monologues and just improvise this yeah is, just improvise but i you know kind yeah. of was just you know kind of illustrating though that the, the looseness that you know that you know and every actor yeah. works different that walken yeah. wasn't sitting there you know studying his script for hours and hours and hours um yeah and I don't mean to tell that story to make it seem like Walken, you know, didn't care about his performance or that, you know, um, but it, but from Foley's perspective, it was like, I get that it seemed like Walken had just kind of frozen up. Yeah. Uh, and that's why, not that he didn't care, which makes me feel fantastic because every <laughs> time farts. I hear, every time I hear a story <laughs> about somebody who I admire, who is clearly good at what they do, when you're reminded that they're just human and they freeze up too from time to time. Mm -hmm. I'm always like, ah, oh, whoo, okay. Well, then you know, I'm still, I'm, I'm human too. It's all okay. So yeah, I, I actually yeah. love those stories. But, um, but it would have been a, a blast to kind of see these two work together. I think the the bad guy, quote unquote, that Walken puts together uh, for the father character in this film is just dynamite, man. I mean, it's, yeah. I think this is one of his strongest performances frankly and uh it's just this the the he just nails the this his character is just scary as all hell yes. uh, I, yeah. I i mean just cold and ruthless but totally charismatic completely charismatic and he's got this this beautiful combination of those two things right dangerous and charismatic and you put it together and it's just outstanding. And you can mm -hmm. totally see why these sons would be riveted by this guy, right? He drives the cool cars and, you know, he's he's like fun and, you know, devil may care. Uh, mm -hmm. he, I mean, right? He's this like cool hip dude. It's almost like a rock star has come, you know, into this tiny little trailer park. Yeah, and there are similar, I would say, showings of like fathers in movies that are sort of like that where it's like the dad is kind of absent but comes back and it's this cool right. you know like hip flirtatious dude. wild hip yeah exactly and then um and so yeah you, there's definitely that um, that's almost kind of a classic trope in a way but it it's is not, because not a negative sense and much more a sense that it, it it works really well for the movie well in reality of course what's happening is that you've got a man who's twice as old as this boy who has never grown up himself that's like yes. what's actually yeah. happening and so to the child this guy looks super cool because he drives yeah. a sports car and you know he's 
he, his interests are literally the exact same as the interest of an 18 year old boy. But to any, just, yeah, anybody but, who's but this guy's 40, like, but this yeah, guy's exactly. 40, his interests should be very different. He we all know people like that. <laughs> we all know people like that, but that's, yeah. but that's kind of these, these like stunted boy men, you know, the only yeah. people they do look cool to are, are these really young kids because these kids don't have anything to compare. And it to. they've got no honor and yeah. Well, and it's interesting to know, too, I want to say, you know, that um, that you're right in a sense that this film is kind of a gangster picture in some senses, um, but but never. And, and, and I don't think at least my interpretation, I don't think they ever glamorize the lifestyles of these characters. No, I don't no. think that they're romanticized at all. I think that you see these guys as pretty crusty dudes yeah. and they don't they aren't fancy. They live in trailer parks themselves. Um, it's not, you know. Uh, but it's but it's funny. I do want to mention really quickly, you know, so in preparation for this, um, and and generally I enjoy doing this anyway because I'm weird. I like to go watch, you know, old movie reviews. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm watching Siskel and Ebert's review of this film, you know, in 86 when it was released. And it's so funny. You've got Siskel here. He starts off first talking about the film and he's just overwhelmed with how violent the film is, right? He's like, mm-hmm. I, well, I, I just, I don't even know how somebody, like, he's like, yes, the performances are great. Okay, Sean Penn and Christopher Walken are great in this film, but boy, I really wish they wouldn't have, you know, they would have found a better vehicle because it's just so violent. I can't stand it. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that's interesting because mm-hmm. now, you know, flash forward to today, and I'm thinking, I mean, even when you step in, you know, let's say six, 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 eight years later, when you get into Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, um, I mean, this film is quaint, frankly. Very when tame. It, when very, it comes to tame. violence compared yeah. to any kind of films that, you know, so I that can't was really surprising. I think of, of like the, you know, Sean Penn gets shot in the face at one point, but it's just kind of more of a it's little just buckshot it's just, yeah, buckshot, it's just but, a buck that he pulls out yeah, and we've and got we, we've the, got the murders we talked about yeah, i mean the, the but, drowning and, but there's yeah. no but i think it's you know yet it, it, the violence is impactful it's mm-hmm. impactful violence right the way it's shot you know anytime i mean you've got a father killing his own son uh and being ruthless about it you're you know the the way that the violence is set up and the way it's told i mean it definitely is impactful but mm-hmm. it, it, but it isn't. I don't think it contains any more violence than many, many films. Um, but I do want to say too. Uh, so I, I just thought that was funny. Now, so Siskel, he was like thumbs down, you know, thumbs down. Ebert, my man, he liked the film. So mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was like happy to see. Okay, well at least at close range got Ebert's thumbs up. But so I, you know, it's kind of funny how how those things change. And I think I'm going to start doing that though, watching the watching the. Uh, reviews because that that's actually a, a fun kind of little i mean especially these do. old ones i i don't want to go back and look at you know because you can type in like at close range or any other film reviews on youtube for example and you know you're going to get oh, yeah, it's contemporary uh, people, contemporary yeah. reviews and i'm not concerned with that so much i i want to watch the film on my own terms and i can decide what i think about it yeah, on my own take a look at the reaction then, but it's though, fun it's to see yes it's fun to see yeah. this these time capsules of responses for the film when it was actually contemporary and came out so hmm. I think it's interesting. Well, speaking of contemporary, let's talk. Let's we'll, we'll wrap up our uh, our our podcast about this film with soundtrack and music. Yeah. Uh, we've not touched on that one yet, not too much. But um, you know, we've got a really really sparse score from Patrick Leonard here. Now mm-hmm. we we very, do have very, a, yeah. Rihanna, what was your thought on that? I really, it's just. I mean, the score is really just the one melody of the the. Um, 
what's the, the Madonna theme. song called? Um, live to tell. Yeah, live to tell. Yeah, it's really just that kind of a, like. There's no, and it's really only used. I would say sort of like either over montage or transition. There's not really any moment where there's like a, an impactful score during any of the moments of tension or, or things right. like that. Like that's usually tends to be left silent in this. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, there's not in my opinion too much to say really about it other than that it 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 doesn't feel out of place it, it works it's not necessarily the you know music that i love in movies that just kind of very well it ain't john williams oh, yeah it's not john williams not Bernard <laughs> Herman, it's not you know um but no it, it works i think that that's what's important is that it works for the movie um, i mean I, and, i'm just gonna say i like it so i'm gonna i'll go out okay. on a limb and i'm gonna say i actually really enjoy it would Interesting. it be okay, yeah. now would it would it be the proper score for any other film no but was mm -hmm. it the right score for this film i think yes yeah, that's what's um, important. yeah. and and you know uh, yes you're right i mean the there's basically what you have are just modifications on the same theme kind of throughout the film mm -hmm. uh and you're right they they aren't there i don't think to to heighten impact or, and, and thankfully, in my opinion, to tell the audience like how you should think about what's going on right now. Yeah. Yeah. They're not, they're not emotional cues. They're not action cues. And I'm, I'm okay with that. I, I really kind of see this, their atmosphere. It's almost like an ambient music, you know, soundscape kind of in the background. I mm -hmm. mean, they do punctuate moments, don't get me wrong. But, uh, but I think that overall, when you tie this in with the story, with the cinematography, with just, you know, the rest of the film as a whole, I think that it really does a good job of, of, of kind of giving you this, you know, setting the, the atmosphere for the story. Um, yeah. It's yeah. just, you know, so I don't know, I like it. And I, I will even, I will go one step further, even go like way out on a limb and uh, say that I think that Live to Tell is actually a very good song. And it is, I think, Madonna's best song out of her entire repertoire. I think that it, it is Be careful, her... the Madonna fans are going to come after you. Well, now. I didn't say, hey, look, I did, <laughs> you know, you can have a different favorite song, but let yeah. me tell you why. I mean, it's so Madonna felt like when this song was actually written that she wasn't going to sing it. She felt like it was not in her register. And you right. can make the arguments and, you know, here and there about the quality of her singing, you know, and on all these kind of things. I won't do that. But she felt like it was outside of her register. And I think she was kind of uh, pushed to to go ahead and give it a shot. I think that it's actually one of the most vulnerable uh, performances that she gives in a song, and mm -hmm. uh, which you don't see from Madonna very often. You don't see her being kind of vulnerable. Uh, actually, quite the opposite, I think, in her art and in her life. But that's a whole other topic for a whole other thing. But I just, yeah, I, for whatever reason, I think it's her best song. I think it works great here. And uh, there you have it. <laughs> yeah. Fun movie. Definitely would recommend it. If you've got um, Amazon Prime, I think it's actually on the MGM channel on Amazon Prime, which I've got, which should be, I think, amalgamated into Prime anyway soon because they just bought that whole and, and is that in, so. in, in Canada up there? Because I know it's different. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if you guys have. A, I, it's the MGM channel here. I'm not or, sure what. Uh, yeah, so check it out. Like, it as with all these but, things, check it out online. I actually yeah. saw it on Blu-ray. Right, you've owned, yeah. And yeah. there's a there's actually a recent imprint. It's it's actually very difficult to find. It's not released under the studio's, uh, like, um, you know, Cattle archive or back thing, catalog. Yeah. It's actually... 
I think it was, uh, I, I'd have to go and look now. I can't remember, but a couple different small uh, imprints. Well, because it was Orion, I think, that distributed it initially. So, yeah, and Orion yeah. sort of has had a, a shaky past few decades. For sure. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they've not released it, but it is available through some other ch uh, channels. So, yeah, all right. Yeah. Well, on that note, Cullen, as always, man, it's been a blast. Uh, I appreciate mm -hmm. you. I appreciate you being willing to check out one of my favorite films from my childhood. And I'm glad that you enjoyed it. That's awesome. Yeah. And hopefully everybody listening, uh, if you've not seen the film already, maybe this has inspired you to go check it out. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, until next time, sir. And everybody else out there, we'll catch you soon. Mm -hmm.